please take a seat. Brilliant. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles with you. Page 59, I think it is, in the Red Pew Bibles in front of you. And we're continuing our series in this incredible um, and prime narrative, really, of the whole Bible within the story of Exodus. And if you are new, maybe it's your first time in church and you're unfamiliar with this practice, someone gets up and preaches from a book that's at the front and you're wondering what that's about, hopefully we'll explore some of what God has to say to us through this incredible book that we have, spanning centuries of history, uh, incredible different genres of stories, and yet there's themes that run throughout this book that speak of the God that we love and worship so profoundly. So we look at Exodus chapter 4. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or, or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What is it that's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it to the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out his hand and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord said, has said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. 
the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart and he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, he said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had said to him and also about all the signs he commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. It's an incredible story, isn't it? Right? No? <laughs> Just me? And there is some really strange bits in it. And I was talking to Pam Williams earlier, the whole bit about Zipporah and the foreskin and, and, and that stuff. Quite obscure stories. You find that sometimes in the Bible. And as modern day people, we go, oh, how are we possibly going to understand this? And there are some stories which over many years, they're just will always remain a little bit of a mystery. There are some explanations, though. But I felt, rather than exploring them in detail with you now, it kind of interrupts the flow of the message. Not because, I might add, I don't want to deal with them because I'm afraid of doing, um, addressing such texts, but just because it sometimes takes away from the point um, of the message and the whole hardening of Pharaoh's heart. If there are things that you want to discuss and you're passionate about learning more, please come and grab me afterwards and we'll have a chat or we'll grab a coffee sometime and talk till the cows go home about circumcision and various things that we find in this text. So let's look um, at Exodus 4. And I want to ask you a question to discuss in the groups um, amongst you. You have been given an overwhelming task or mission by God that you feel utterly unable to deliver on and utterly unequipped to do. Have you ever been given a mission or a task by God that you felt utterly uh, useless in delivering and utterly unequipped to do? Why don't you chat with the people around you about that go to draw our conversations to a close so for me as I was um, reflecting upon this particular question and asking what about myself is there a mission or task that I've been given by God that I felt utterly useless to do and completely unequipped and the truth is it's, it's this one <laughs> That call into ministry where God said, you know, that's where I want you. I was like, I'm not sure, mate. I don't think you've got this right. I'm the wrong guy. Uh, wasn't academic at all. No interest in learning. Um, and really didn't like public speaking. Um, not particularly two tasks that are quite important, really, for, for, for the role that I do. Um, in regards to not being academic, I remember I went to my interview for the London School of Theology. I'm sitting in this small interview room. Uh, two lecturers in front of me playing wonderfully the good cop and bad cop kind of procedure. Sonia encourages me, supports me. Graham, and I'm not making any comparisons because I'm half Scottish, so I can say this, Fee, but he was a nasty one. And he sat there, 
And he just looked at me and he said, yeah, I'm not going to do the accent again. I always get, make it becomes Irish. Um, you need to be going to Moreland's. He said to me, he said, it's far more sports-based, it's less academic, it's more your kind of thing. Essentially, what he was saying is, I don't think you're really smart enough um, to come to our uni, mate. But they let me in by some miracle of God. Um, I think I kind of persuaded them over, you know, cheeky charm and smile. Um, and, and I remember I was sitting there, you know, these books that I was given to read by a guy called Henry Chadwick, The Early Church, the most dull book I've ever read in my life. Have you got it? It's really dull, Sharon. Uh, if, unless you like it, I apologise if you do. You don't? Yeah, good, get rid of it. And I was, if Henry Chadwick is here, I'm sorry. Um, and I had to read the book with a dictionary, not even to understand the theological language, just to understand the language in general was so complicated. Every book I read, I had a dictionary in hand to kind of work out what was going on. But that's where God wanted me. He provided a mate of mine called Luke, who was a human encyclopedia, and he would sit with me for hours working through difficult theological concepts, talking with me about all these things that I was struggling to grapple with, and he really helped me learn and enjoy my time. I had great lecturers and mentors. God equipped me to be equipped for ministry when I needed him most. And believe me, if, I'm, if, if you're thinking, I'm not sure I can do this, if I can do it, you can do it. And I didn't like public speaking. I did a, a few sermons in, in my dad's army churches, and one of them, I remember standing at the front, complete mind blank, panicked, wanted to run out from the front, completely lost my mind, and that experience stuck with me. So when I moved to Andover to, to be part of my first church, on my own, no family with me, um, I, it was my first preach. I was excited and nervous. And I had to get it right. But I hadn't linked PowerPoint with sermon had more learned the PowerPoint than I had really the sermon for my notes. So I got really confused midway, panicked, and for 10 minutes preached at them about how Jesus is everything. That's good on occasion if it's eloquent and makes sense, but mine was kind of a rambling of what I knew about Jesus thrown out in 10 minutes at the congregation. Um, horrible experience. As soon as the service was over, everyone knows me being my normal bubbly self, would talk to people. I got in my car, drove to a local car park, and just cried for ages, felt utterly alone and started shouting at God, why are you calling me to this? Surely if this is what I'm meant to do, it should be easy and I should be able to do it. And yet you've given me this impossible task. Three weeks in advance, I would have to prepare sermons. And I'd wake up in cold sweats, could have dreams about having mind blanks from the front, panicking, and I'd wake up. You know when you're falling in a dream and you always wake up as you hit the floor? For me, it's always as I go, that was the moment I'd have the mind blank. Terrifying things, horrible experience. And yet, the fact that I'm standing here is testament to how God has worked in me over that time and equipped me for this role through people that have supported and encouraged me, through the fact that I can trust, even when I feel utterly unequipped and ready for the task, he will give me the words I need to say, no matter how annoying at times his word is and how difficult it is to understand and that whole grappling experience we go through with his word. I know that even if I haven't got... The sermon fixed whilst I'm watching X Factor on a Saturday night with fish and chips. I know it will happen before I get there on a Sunday. It always does. Because he uses us and he equips us. That's what we see in Moses' life. That's what we see throughout the whole story of Exodus. He picks really strange people to do tasks that you think they could not do on their own. And he does it through his power and gifting. So we'll see some of these themes really flow throughout this chapter so if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to it and we'll kind of explore 
something of what happens in this story, which there's kind of some humorous elements, I think, to this story, if you're allowed to laugh at some of the stuff in the Bible. I think Moses seems like a really down-to-earth kind of guy. He's not afraid to say it as he is. He looks at the situation and goes, well, if that's right, you're going to have to convince me because I'm not really sure this is going to work. But before we look at this, this chapter, let's recap a little bit for those that either are new to church or haven't been here before or have not been part of the story we've been on so far. So Moses has given this mission. The Israelite people are in slavery. They're his people, but he has been, uh, t- been taken in by the Egyptians and made a prince of Egypt. So he sees his people suffering. One day, uh, so infuriated by the treatment of an Egyptian slave driver to a Hebrew slave, that he, in, in this rage of justice and anger, beats up this slave driver and kills him. Egyptian prince killing an Egyptian slave driver in Egypt is not recommended diplomatic moves. So, as a consequence, he flees Egypt to Midian. In Midian, he has this incredible experience, as you'd have heard last week, where there's this burning bush that's burning but not really on fire. Again, freaky stuff. And it's through that that God calls him to go to Pharaoh to tell him that he, needs to, he wants to free his people. But before he gets to that place, he must go and try and persuade the elders of the Israelites that God is calling him to save his people, to save their people. And we join at Exodus 3, verse 16 to 17, something of what Chris explored last week. God says to, to Moses, Go assemble the elders of Israel, And say to them, the Lord and God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. But you can understand he's nervous. Firstly, he's going back to his homeland, whereas he knows it. Everyone wants to kill him. Not exactly the most encouraging thing to do. And he should tell his people, the Israelites, Hi, I'm Moses, FYI, I'm one of you, and God's calling me to save your people. If someone came to Mutley with a very similar agenda, we'd be fairly doubtful, wouldn't we? You know, hi, I'm Jim, and and God's called me, he's appeared to me in a burning bush. And he's told me that I'm here to save your people from suffering. We'd question that particular experience. Moses does. He says in Exodus 4 verse 1, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? It's a pretty, pretty reasonable question to ask, isn't it, really, when you're faced with this kind of situation? Because, of course, he's nervous. He lacks every credential that you'd expect someone being called to that kind of role, to that kind of mission, would have. Is he known by his people? No. Is he respected by his people? Not at this point. Is he a renowned leader? No, not at this point. Has he been educated by the right people? No. Does he mix in the right circles, have the right friends? No. In every single sense, Moses lacks the credentials that he needs for this particular role. He was born in Israel. He was made an Egyptian prince. Then he murdered a fellow Egyptian. And now he's claiming that God's calling him through a burning bush to save the Israelite people. It's not the best CV, really, is it? He has no credentials required for this role, and yet God promises promises him, I will equip you. And he does that in two ways. The first 
and I've wanted a better phrase, but I can't really think of one. He gives them three pretty cool tricks to do, doesn't he? I mean, if you're, again, I want you to put yourself in this situation. I've been trying to imagine what it must be like to Moses to have God telling you to do this. You're holding a wooden staff. He says, throw it to the floor, and it becomes a snake. Now, I love snakes. I'm quite comfortable around snakes. But a staff turning into a snake, I think, would freak me out. And I love that Moses' response is, he ran away. I think most of us would do that, right? Oh, my staff has become a snake. That is a terrifying concept. And then he's told to put his hand in his cloak. And if you've ever seen June, there's a scene in June where he puts his hand into a fire. No? My dad used to force me to watch sci-fi movies when I was a boy. And it becomes burnt, but it's not actually burnt. He puts his hand into his cloak and he gets this kind of leprous disease over it. And then puts his hand back in and it's completely restored. This is freaky stuff. And then finally, if the elders aren't convinced by those two very impressive tricks, go to the Nile... Get some water, and rather than turning water into wine like Jesus, it will turn into blood when you pour it onto the floor. And I was thinking as I was reading this that Moses has now had three fairly convincing miracles right before him. A stick turning into a snake, hand becoming leprous and then being made new, and if he pours water from the Nile, it will turn into blood. They're fairly convincing, right? Would you, I mean, if that happened in your life, you'd probably go... Maybe God's working in some way. I don't know any other way that would happen. Just to qualify as well, it's not, very disappointingly, the stick isn't like a magical wand. I need to just qualify that because that for me sounded very cool. But obviously it's God using the stick to do a special miracle, just in case you were comparing it with various things. And as you can imagine, this situation happens. You'd think he'd be confident, but yet he comes back to God and he questions him. He questions him once again in only the way that Moses can. Turn to Exodus 4, and he says, Pardon your servant, Lord. Verse 10. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So let's, let's qualify this for a second. He has no credentials to do the role he's meant to be doing, and now he's not a good communicator. And he's not someone who's a very good public speaker. So his role is to go to the greatest superpower in the world and tell the Pharaoh, the leader of said superpower, to let his people go and he can't communicate well. Are you kidding me? Could there be a man less equipped for this particular role than Moses? He has none of the gifting or credentials that are required of a leader to do the task he is being called to do. And I wonder at this point whether God's plan was to give him the ability to speak better, or actually to give him the words to say. We don't know, because in fact, Moses being Moses, moans about it. He's brilliant at moaning to God. And I don't know about you, but that's certainly part of my prayer life. Why? Send someone else. And I love the response that God gives to his initial uh, questioning in verse 11. Probably one of the pinnacle texts in this, in this overall passage. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. That last bit, now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses, not happy with this. I also wonder whether the NIV is translating this quite politely. I'm not sure if Moses would have necessarily said it in quite an English form, manner, formal manner. 
pardon your servant, Lord. Please, send someone else. I can't do it. I'm not the person who's good at communicating. That's not my job. All right, Moses, if you're going to keep going on, here's your brother. He's better at speaking than you. He can speak for you. Three miracles he's given to present before these elders to show that God is with him. And then even though he lacks in communication and the ability to publicly speak, God gives him his brother Aaron to fulfill that role in the mission he's calling him to. If you forget everything I say this morning, and I know there's a chance of that, remember these two things. He uses us, he equips us. He uses us, he equips us. He uses us in the sense that us in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our vulnerability, in our ability to utterly get it wrong, we are still useful in his kingdom's purposes. No matter what you've done or or how unworthy you feel or how incapable of doing what God's called you to do this morning that you feel, the God that we love and worship has seen, we've seen so profoundly in the story of Moses, but really throughout the whole of scripture, he communicates through a donkey, if you're wondering, you can't talk. He can talk for a donkey. He can talk for you. But prime example right here. Throughout Scripture, in people's weaknesses, God uses that as an incredible strength to show his power and his might. And all of us have been given a calling and a mission. It's not just Moses, but there's that great commission that comes at the end of Matthew 26, where Jesus turns to his disciples to found that the beginnings of the church, and he sends them out with this incredible mission, go make disciples. And those disciples will make disciples, those disciples will make disciples, those followers will make followers, those followers will make followers. Every one of us has been given a task and a mission to do. Matthew 26, verse 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to me and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the mission that we've all been given, right? He uses us. He equips us. And the fascinating thing about the start of the church, the church as we, as we, as we know it now, is that God didn't select, again, he didn't select the educated, the, the, the rich, those who've got influence and power, He selected fishermen. He selected tax collectors who were despised by people for being sellouts. He selected revolutionists who wanted to to see the Messiah come and, and redeem the temple and get rid of the Roman oppressors. He selected the cynics, the doubters, the nobodies, the rebels, the working men. They were the foundation of the church. Not the equipped, the eloquent, the well to do. The nobodies, the the weirdos. (laughs) And I'm not being offensive. Well, it may be a little bit, but that's us. (laughs) That's us. In all our weaknesses and all our flaws, he uses us and he equips us. People that would seem utterly unequipped to begin the foundation of the church. And yet, as we know it, God's word has made made known across the globe in all kinds of places. Smallest tribes know the name of Jesus because of the foundations of the church that he built with these people. He uses and he equips us. So I want to use language that we haven't used in a long time. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Uh, The language of frontline. 
<laughs> You've missed it, haven't you? So what about next week when you're on your front line? Front line being your workplace, your social club, being at home with your family, maybe even church activities that you have, whatever it is you're doing, your everyday lives, generally outside of Sunday services and the kind of stuff that we normally do directly in church, but maybe associated with the rest of our lives. Do you believe that, that God could use you like he used Moses? The little old you could see him transform the workplace that you sit in every single week, where you're frustrated with how slow the system moves and with co-workers who don't seem to get it or, 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 with, or with friends who are still on that constant cycle and, and are unable to, to get hold of their lives. All of the frustrations that we feel as part of everyday working and, and everyday life, working or not. Do we believe that actually God could use us despite our flaws, despite our vulnerability, despite our weaknesses, despite our lack of credentials to accomplish immeasurably more than we could ever comprehend in the places that he calls us to because that's certainly the god that i worship and really truth be told this is all completely pointless if that god doesn't do those things it's just a service for the sake of standing at the front and being a community together but if he does if he does use us if he can transform people that we meet if he can transform workplaces and that is a god that i want to follow amen if he can use me then he can sure use you and he'll equip us to do the work he calls us to. What if he provides us friends? Maybe he'll give us the words we have to say. The beauty of the story that we, we read is that towards the end of our chapter, Moses goes to the elders with Aaron and they listen to him. In fact, they, knowing the misery of their people, seeing how God is responding to that, they bow down and worship God, having heard what they brought. They believe them. They believe them because God used them and God equipped them. So I want to give you a couple of moments to reflect on some of these things. Uh, maybe realizing that not, not everyone processes in the way that I do, you're more introverted this morning and you want to just sit in, in the quiet and reflect on those things. Please do that. There's some questions you'll see on the screen behind me. But if that's not your way of processing and you're an external processor who needs a wall to bounce ideas off, um, please turn politely to the person next to you and ask them if they'd be willing to talk through this. If they don't and just want to process, let them do that. But otherwise, just for a moment, let's have some time reflecting on these questions in groups or on our own. Have Moses encouraged or challenged you? Or are you avoiding God's mission because you don't feel equipped or that he can use you? Fantastic. So just to, to round it off, the words that we read in verse 12 of chapter 4 words to encourage us this week and are ones that I'd ask you to reflect on if you get a time in your own devotions. Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. He uses us. He equips us. Let's pray. Father, I realize it's, um, it's so easy just to say these things in the front and to to get excited about this story and yet the reality is tomorrow wherever we're placed um, these, this mission, this call can seem unclearer than it maybe was to Moses um, and when we're actually in that space of having to trust you it's a lot scarier than, than, it, than it sounds from here 
So we pray for courage. Courage to hear your voice. Courage to respond. Courage to speak. Courage not to speak. Courage to act. Whatever it is out there that you're calling us to do, we pray you make it clear. And that we'll be able to trust you. Trust you with our weaknesses. Trust you with our failures. Trust you with our lack of credentials or um, ability. And Jesus, that we would trust that you would equip us. May we come back with incredible stories of what you've done. Incredible stories of how in small ways you used us when we felt completely unprepared and you gave us exactly what we needed in that moment. Incredible stories of what you're doing in people's lives outside of this building. You are incredible. We worship you. God who flung stars into heavens and yet cares about us. We trust the words that we read in this passage that you will give us the words to say as we go out on mission for you. In your name, loving Jesus. Amen.